Here this morning, we're looking at the, the word of knowledge. We're getting back into our gifts. We haven't actually left. We just went off into the ministry gifts for a while and showed you some of those uh, particular things that were, that were there, uh, mostly because of the urgency that was in my spirit on the prophet's ministry. And we needed to spend time on that. And so then we just went into the rest of them to, to discuss those. A couple of weeks on the pastors and one week on the evangelists. And, and I hope you got a, a better feel of those but in the beginning we looked at prophecy and we spent a number of weeks on prophecy not going to go over all that and then we spent a week on the discerning of spirits and as Paul has said in his word you may recall this I desire that you all uh, prophesy he wanted them all to, to minister in the ministry gifts but especially that they would prophesy I would change that for me now that was Paul speaking because Paul was a lot of times allowed to introduce his opinion. And he would introduce it as such. This is my opinion on this matter. There are not many people in the Word of God that God allowed their opinion to get in. But that was one in which it was put up at a pretty high level, not a low level. Well, his is his opinion, but obviously it's wrong. It, isn't, it wasn't that way at all. My opinion is I would that every Christian operate in the Word of Knowledge. And we'll show you why that is here. I think it is one of the most beneficial gifts of the Spirit that you can have in your life. In fact, if you do not operate in the gift of the Word of Knowledge, you will be severely hampered. Now you're saying, well, should, should we all? Well, if Paul says that all can prophesy and that we should desire the spiritual gifts, prophecy is given to you for the benefit of others. We're going to show you something different about that in the word of knowledge. Now, first off, I wrote up my definition. And I'm going to give you a couple of other people's definitions later on. But this is this was mine. And I believe I left it in your, your outline for you so that you had to, to do this. But what is the word of knowledge? It is it is used by God in the church. Oh, I'm sorry, we were, I was reading the wrong one. I was reading the intro that we put up on Facebook. But the word of knowledge is used by the church. We're going to look at who who is uh, able to use this gift, this particular gift, its unique purpose, and how God's plans are, are set about this. The nine gifts of the Spirit, there is really no overlap. You don't have, well, if you don't have the gift of the word of knowledge, you can use this one instead. There is no overlap. Each gift has a unique place in the body. If you take out one of the gifts, you will be lacking in something. Now, it doesn't mean that all nine have to operate in you. We're saying that the body has to have all nine operating. If the body of Christ is missing any of the nine, they're not in operation. There will be something that is missing. Now, let's just read over the the passage here. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We'll get into the definition here in a minute. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
Keep that in mind. Always keep that in mind. The gifts of the Spirit are for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. These are always by the will of the Spirit. Now, Paul says to earnestly desire, it would seem that the Spirit's will on yielding these to us can be altered by our desire for them. If you have no desire for it, he's not going to necessarily will to give it to you. i got to have a desire for those things. So I defined it as this way. The word of knowledge is the supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit to a saint of past events, thoughts, or actions in the life of believers or unbelievers in this world, be they finished or ongoing. Now, the reason I put it that way is because you can have a past, something that has gone on in your past. You can have a past thought. You can have a past event. You can have a past action. But it still continues to go on. That thought continues to come in. That event continues to impact your life. There is a presentness to it. But it is in the past. The word of knowledge always speaks to things that are in the past. Things that have happened. Not things that are going to happen. But things that have happened. Now it is not a gift of knowledge. But a word of knowledge. That is a huge thing to understand. It is not a gift of knowledge. It is a word of knowledge. There may be more to the full event. There may be more to the full thought or even the action that a person did. But you were only given a part of it. It is a word of knowledge. You know from the word of God there is a difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. There is knowledge, there is understanding, and there is wisdom. Of those three, the lowest form is knowledge understanding is the correct application of knowledge how many people do you know that have a whole lot of book knowledge but don't know what to do with it knowledge of the three is the lowest level this is called the word of knowledge because what he has given you is a part of something that is just called knowledge it is not a word of understanding and it is not a word of wisdom when you are given this word, it does not necessarily convey with it an understanding of all the things that go around. It is not an understanding of the whole. Don't ever go from having a word of knowledge to thinking, I know everything about this now. No, you know a word. You know a little part. You don't have the whole thing. God is not about to give you understanding he is out to give you a word of knowledge. What that word is, is all you need to know about. He gave you everything that you need to act as you need to act. But it is a word of knowledge. The, um, it is as he wills, otherwise it's going to be sorcery. There are people who seek after what is like a word of knowledge 
something about past events, something about past thoughts, something about things that have happened in the past, and they seek after the spirit realm for it, this is called sorcery. They may pass it off as God, but it's not. Remember last week we looked at Simon? He did some things in the area of sorcery, but passed them off as things of God. People will be out there and doing this. You are not to get involved with those who call upon the spirits as they will to receive knowledge that they that you are requesting. It is as the spirit wills. And if it goes any other way, then it's not from God. It's not at our own demand. Now the purpose is this. The purpose of this word is to bring a new perspective to the event, thought, or action or to shed light on how God sees it for the benefit of the believer or unbeliever. The supernatural aspect is what will give credibility to the person it is given for. When God gives you a word of knowledge, there is a supernatural aspect to it. You could not have known this and that supernatural aspect is to speak to the person who is hearing the word of knowledge that you have to give authenticity. How did you know I had that thought? How did you know that event happened in my life? I didn't tell anybody about that. That supernatural aspect of it is what gives credibility to the person who's hearing what it is that you hear. And they'll take note of that. But the devil also realizes this. And so he sometimes tries to get that supernatural aspect to the words that he would give to get people's attention. Because whatever God does, he's going to mimic. Just because somebody has supernatural access to an event that occurred in your life does not mean God sent it. You can tell real easy whether God sent it. Does it bring peace? Does it bring joy? Maybe it might bring correction, but if it brings correction, it always brings correction with hope. It always points you in a good direction. This is the word of knowledge. If you get something... That I've heard people in churches that have done this and they give a prophecy about you are going to die. You are going to lose. You are going to... And they, they give these things and they have some kind of a supernatural aspect to it. You have been thinking along these lines. And God says, yes, that will come to pass. Understand who God is. And if you under, if you keep that in your understanding, then people aren't able to sway you in a, in a wrong direction. But the purpose of this word is to bring a new perspective to the event, thought, or action, or to shed light on how God sees it. Many times when we have a thought and we have an action, we have an event that has occurred in our life, we get a certain way of thinking about that. And we have to get that thinking, at times, disrupted. Because the thinking keeps us on the wrong path. I have a certain perspective that I'm, I'm looking at here. And God says, hold on a minute. That's not my perspective at all. But the enemy has gotten in. And because you had this thought, he is telling you that thought means you are this kind of a person. Well, that's not God telling you that. That's not God putting that on you. And so God sometimes comes along with a word of knowledge to shatter that. And so he may come out, and I'm just giving you an example, but he may come out with a word of knowledge and say, um, you've had these thoughts, but here's what I say. And he gives you a whole different perspective on it, completely different from that, that particular thought. You'd have to receive that. Now, some people won't receive it. Some people hang on to the way that they have been thinking, and they won't, uh, they won't have that be shattered. 
you can shatter those kinds of those kind of bad thinking patterns with the word of God. But some people have allowed that thinking pattern to have such a strong hold in their life that you need something supernatural to come so the gifts of the Spirit come in to shatter that. God doesn't want that in your life. You should be able to take that down, but it has established a certain pattern. And you keep going back into the into thinking that. Thinking, I'm not worth anything. Nobody really cares for me. Nobody's really uh, sincere the way that they deal with me. Whatever it might be. Now again, it speaks to events, actions, and thoughts. Events are things that happen around us or to us. Actions are things that I did or I am doing. And thoughts, these are, uh, these are thoughts that the ones that the enemy has sown or come by way of my own fears or because of wrong meditations on my heart. You can have thoughts in your heart that are simply there because you've had wrong meditations. The Word of God says meditate on these things. I haven't done it. I've meditated on some other things. Bring certain thoughts into my life. And they've established a pattern. I didn't want that pattern there, but we've established it. So a word of knowledge will come in to help shatter that. The word of knowledge helps us get a fuller perspective for ministry, for prayer, or for encouragement. When the word of knowledge comes in, it can come in. These are just some of the things it could do. It can help you in the aspects of how you are ministering to a group of people or to a person. It can help you in how you are praying for that person. It can help you in how you are encouraging that person. It reveals things hidden like motives, hypocrisies, sin, darkness, hindrances. The word of knowledge can come in and reveal these things to you so that you can deal with it in the ministry that you're doing, in the encouragement you're doing, or in the prayers that you are praying for them. A key distinction on this is that these things have already occurred and may have come to an end or may be continuing. They may have occurred in the past and ended or they may have occurred in the past and keep on going. This is very much a part of the prophet's ministry. But also believers will be used uh, in this this particular gifting. But a prophet will certainly have the three, um, uh, three aspects of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. You'll see those very strong in the prophet's ministry. Generally, at least two, uh, maybe even all three. Now, the examples in the scripture don't make it mystic. So when you go out and you talk to people, don't make it mystic. When we see it exemplified in the scriptures, it's it's not somebody who gets off in a trance. Oh, hold on a minute. I'm, I'm receiving something. People didn't do that. You don't need to do that to, to bring those things in. That's more the enemy's way of doing stuff. We don't mimic the enemy's way of doing things. Lester Sumrall put it this way. In the gift of the word of knowledge, God reveals to one of his servants something which now exists or did exist on the earth. This must be something which that servant could not know naturally. That's how Lester Sumrall put it. In the gift of the word of knowledge, God reveals to one of his servants something which now exists or did exist on the earth. This must be something which that servant could not know naturally. If you, if you want any of these things I'm reading off to you, just let me know afterwards and, you know, you can come up here and, and write them down or you can also, uh, I'll text them to you. These are not on any of the outlines that are up there on the, on the, um, that I post later on. Uh, there's just, there's not enough room. I had to cut a lot of things out of your outline here today, so I'm re- reading off what I can. Here's one from Dennis Bennett. 
Now, I had to alter this one because I didn't like the way he said some things. So if you look this up and you say, well, Dennis Bennett didn't say it that way. I know. I'm telling you right now. I changed it. But I like some of the aspects of what he had to say and I just took out the parts that I said, no, that's not right. <laughs> so we just, just fixed that. So I'm just warning you about that. It's not exactly a word-for-word quote. And you may read his, his thing and you say, well, I liked his better. Well, that's fine. But uh, I didn't. So it is the supernatural revelation of facts past or present which were not learned through the efforts of the natural mind it may be described as the mind of Christ being manifest manifested to the mind of the believer and is given when needed in a flash of time it doesn't come over a long period of time it comes quick it's a flash just all of a sudden it's there this gift is used to protect the Christian to show how to pray more effectively and how to help more effectively. So I like many aspects of his quote. I didn't want to just, you know, uh, just pull the good parts out and not give him any credit for it. I think he, he, he did some good stuff in there, but there was, some, there was some stuff I just didn't need to say. Now, how does a word of knowledge come to you? There's many different ways, and I'm just giving you things that I know from the scriptures that have come out. First off, there's an inner witness. Just like that inner voice of the Spirit comes up on the inside, you get an inner witness on things. And there's one that can only be described as an inner picture. You have a picture of something that just kind of pops in. You see it. Sympathetic symptoms. Sympathetic symptoms. I've only had that occur here in, in church here, a few other times outside of here. But here in church, I've only ever had it occur one time. But there was one time we were in worship service and all of a sudden I had a, a condition that came on me that does not come on me. I've never had it in my life. And so I'm in the front, right over here in the front uh, area and I'm, I'm going over, God, God, I, this never happens to me. I don't get this sort of uh, pain. Why in the world is this going on? And then it dawned on me, oh, somebody in church is going through this. So uh, as the worship service ended, I came up at that and I said, someone is going through this particular situation and uh, come on up here at the front. We're going to pray for you. The person did. And I said, now I've already got free of it. So I know that you're going to get free of it right now too. Laid hands on them and they got they got free of it and they sat down. And they said, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> Sympathetic sy- symptoms. That can come. That's, a, that's under the word of knowledge. Supernatural occurrences. You're writing on the wall. <laughs> you remember when that happened? That's a that's a word of knowledge that came right there. But supernatural occurrences will come and, and bring these particular things. Dreams. There are some that have these things come in dreams. Visions. Angelic visitation. Or some of the examples we're going to look today, you're going to see a lot of angelic visitations that come and brought this. And another one would be an audible voice. Now, I don't know that that's an ex- exhaustive list. You can probably... Well, what about this? Well, there might be some more. But I'm just writing down for you some of them. And maybe you'll come up with some others. But we're going to take a look at this in two different ways. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. And then I want you to see it in the New Testament. Then I'm going to make this point for you right now. It is amazing to me how prevalent this gift is in the New Testament. In fact, this is goes on so much... I think it might rival prophecy and might even uh, might even surpass it as far as recorded in the scriptures. 
in the in the prophet messages we have in the New Testament compared to the episodes we have of the word of knowledge I think the word of knowledge might win as far as the the occurrences of it but let's go over here to the Old Testament first in Joshua chapter 7 verse 10 so the Lord said to Joshua get up why do you lie thus on your face Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they have taken of the accursed things and have been both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff this is when they lost the battle at Ai and they were wondering what happened how did we lose this battle therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you get up sanctify the people and say sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel there is an accursed thing in your midst O Israel you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you in the morning therefore you shall be brought according to your tribes and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to their families the family which the Lord takes shall come by households and the households which the Lord takes shall come by man by man then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel now here's the, the word that came God says look they asked God, God, why did, why did this thing happen? So he gave them a word of knowledge saying, this is the event that occurred. This is the action that was taken. You weren't supposed to do this. It wasn't supposed to be done, but it was done. That's why you can't stand before your enemies. Then he tells them, now go before. We're going we're gonna to draw and figure out a tribe. We're going to figure out a family. We're going to figure out individuals. In the word of knowledge, my question on this is, why didn't he just tell them who it was? And not just say, hey, it's Aiken. Go get him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've got the supernatural going on. We've got the word coming in. and But no, they got to go the long way. Well, don't argue with God. <laughs> God wanted to done, maybe he wanted to done slow and drawn out. Because, you know, slow and drawn out is, ter- is terrible. If you were Aiken back in there and they're doing this, he's, he's got, oh, man. Oh, man, let it come to somebody else. Oh, let it come to somebody else. Oh, no, they're coming down to me. Oh, the whole time, maybe along the way, God wanted him to repent and just come up and say, look, you don't need to do this anymore. I'm the guy. But he never did that. Maybe that was the idea to give him that opportunity. When we get to heaven, we'll have to ask about that, about that then. But that was an event. That was an action that had occurred in the past, and God gave them understanding on it because they didn't have the understanding of it. First Samuel, in 9 and verse uh, 20, we're not turning there, but Samuel has the location of, of Saul's lost donkeys. Remember, Saul was out looking for his donkeys. And he came upon Samuel. And Samuel says, oh, by the way, he gave my other information that uh, he, he didn't come for. And said, oh, and by the way, your donkeys are, are uh, they, they came back home. And now they're looking for you. So all that was word of knowledge. Because he had no earthly way of knowing these particular things. Later on in chapter 10 and verse 22... Saul's going to be anointed king and he's over there hiding in the baggage. And so where's Saul? Where's Saul? Where's Saul? So the word of the knowledge came. He's hiding in the baggage. So they went over there and looked for him. Don't play hide and seek if someone has the word of knowledge operating in them. Because <laughs> you go hide. You go, I got a great place. And uh, if, if God so chooses, <laughs> it's as he wills, understand. Now, I want you to read this one for you in Second Samuel 12. 
this is when Nathan reveals David's sin. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him with his children. It ate of his own food and drank for his own cup. That would not happen in my household. There's no no dog, lamb, anything like that drinking from like they got their own water bowl. Not drinking out of mine. I've seen those things people on YouTube or and it, 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 they're they're sharing with it. no. I sometimes have to turn the show off. That's that's not going on. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And he goes on and tells him about the, the things that were going on there. But that came as the word of, of knowledge. Nathan received it. We don't know how he received it. He could have received it from the angel of the Lord. He could have received it from another angel. He could have received it in his spirit. He could have received it in a dream. We're not told how he received it. We're just told that the Lord sent him. And the Lord probably sent him with this story and he understood where this story was going. In Daniel chapter 2, the, the whole chapter talks about this story. And if you want to go back and read it, that's you have the references there, you can go and do that. I just want to read a few of the verses here. Verse 16, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Because the king had come out to the wise men and said, I want you to tell me not only the interpretation, I want you to tell me the dream. Because if you tell me the dream, that will tell me that you have... Uh, the, the rights to tell me the interpretation because this is an important dream I got to know this one this is not like some of the other ones we've had this one has great importance to it and I need to know that you're hearing from God then they say we can't do it and so they're ready to kill them all well you're all a bunch of liars been eating my food and taking my pay and aren't really doing what you're supposed to be doing so we're just going to kill you all and start over again and so as they're coming around to start killing them Daniel uh, comes up with this and he, he says what, what's going on here and so he says uh, look give me some time then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah Mishael and Azariah his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon Then this, see, don't, they didn't care if the rest of them perished <laughs> we just don't want to perish that's <laughs> That's it. You can do what you want with the rest of them, but uh, we want to make sure that we're okay. <laughs> then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, most times we have a night vision, we call it a dream. But he apparently was awake. I think you would have been awake too. If you had to get this answer and you didn't have it yet, I don't think you're going to sleep. And he's already declared, God will give it to me. And so he's uh, he's awake, seeking after God, doing whatever it is that he was going to do. And he received a nighttime vision. It was a, a vision. He was awake for this. But he received the, the vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven and the rest of the uh, verses there. After this, he talks about the prayer that he made. Most of us would have gone running after the king 
let him know we got it, we got it, we got it. He didn't. He spent time to bless bless God and and just took his time. Now going over to the New Testament, and we could spend more time in the Old Testament to see these things by just giving you a few of them here. In the New Testament, Matthew one, verse twenty. But while he thought about these things, this is, of course, Joseph. These things are the news that he got. The one that he is engaged to, betrothed to, is pregnant. And he knows he had nothing to do with it. Because you would know a thing like that. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure Mary told this to him. When she came to him and told him that she was pregnant, she probably said, the angel appeared to me, and this is what the angel said. And he, and Joseph is contemplating these things. If he is thinking of putting her away quietly, obviously he doesn't believe her. That's a great way to start off with things, isn't it? <laughs> but that is a hard thing to, to know. And so I don't know about you, but I always like to think about the other characters that are in the story just now. And Mary's not in the story right now. I'm thinking, what's going on with Mary? I mean, she's got, she's going along here. We're betrothed to a nice young man and we're getting ready for the, for the wedding. Oh, can't wait for the day. And all of a sudden the angel shows up and says, Hey, you've been selected. <laughs> and you're thinking, uh, are, you, are you, can you find somebody else? <laughs> I mean, things are really going in a good direction. I'm liking where they're going. This is obviously going to change this. And I don't think everybody's going to believe me. And, um, uh, and so she goes over to tell Joseph, and Joseph says, uh, "You know, I got that's an awful lot for me to take in here. Uh, I gotta kind of go away for this for a little bit." And, but she, I'm sure, figured out he doesn't believe me. So if I'm Mary, I would probably be saying, "Well, God, just the same way that you showed up with me, you got to show up with him, and make this thing. You got to speak to him the same way you spoke to me, or he's probably going to get out of this picture." <laughs> that's how I envision it, anyway. And so I, I think that she's probably contending with, with God about it. And so he's contemplating these things. God may have already had it in his plan. But, uh, but anyway, if I was Mary, I'd certainly be, be moving in that direction. She said, um, Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now this is in a dream. Probably not as strong of a of a word like Mary got, but it was strong enough for Joseph. And so he uh he went and he obeyed and he did what was what was told for him to do at that point. But his mind was processing what he knew, how he took it in, what Mary said, what normally happens, what people will be thinking, how my parents will respond how our neighbors will respond. He's taking all these things in and so he's going along with a thought process based on all this stuff. So this word of knowledge comes to him delivered in a dream to alter his way of processing the information he has. This word of knowledge was not for anyone else. This word of knowledge was not for him to deliver to Mary. It was not for him to deliver to his parents. 
there was not for him to deliver to the church. He may have told other people about it, but that's not the purpose of it. The word of knowledge that comes is not always intended to be given to someone else. In fact, it may even, we'll see this, it may even be given for someone else, but not be shared with someone else. We'll show you that. But here in this particular instance, this was just given for him. Did you know that the word of knowledge can be just given for you? No one else. Just for you. To alter your life. To alter how you understand something. Prophecy doesn't do that. Prophecy, you receive prophecy and you speak out edification, exhortation, and comfort to other people. But the word of knowledge can come right here like with Joseph. And it changed how he thought about the things going on in his life. And altered the trajectory of his life. That's what it did. But he had to receive it. It was a dream. Well, how do I know I didn't just dream that? Because Mary sowed those thoughts into my head. But he believed it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 11, let's read the the whole... uh, uh, through verse 17 then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense and when Zacharias saw him he was troubled and fear fell on him now he's seen the angel of the Lord Joseph had a dream Mary saw something but he here Zacharias he saw something he's not having a vision that's not described it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on his right side of the altar of incense now, Joseph was fairly important. Why does Joseph just get a dream and these other people get the angel showing up? And I, I don't know the answer for that. It would just seem to me that Joseph didn't need as much to obey. God will only give you what you need to obey. So that there's a there's a faith aspect to it there. Now, it also has, a, has a implications as to what you will face. The more opposition that you face the greater and stronger the revelation will be. That's why enjoy it when you get the nice little inner voice. That means not much opposition. Glory to God. Brother Hagin used to tell us that. He said, I love it. When you get that little inner voice tells me something, I'm happy. He says, not much opposition. He said, I get dreams and visions. I know something's coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So they were praying for a, for a child. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers uh, to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord now you can keep on reading here in the story and you but you probably already know Zacharias didn't believe it and he doubted and he spoke words of doubt now, Mary spoke words to question how shall this thing be 
but she didn't speak words to doubt it. She just, how is this going to be? This is, the, this is how I understand these things happen, and that hasn't happened yet. So how is this going to be? And the angel explained that to her, but once it was explained, she didn't doubt the way, even though the way was extraordinary. Zacharias isn't the same. He doubted. He spoke words of doubt. Now, some of us might look at that and say, I've, I've spoken worse words of doubt than that. <laughs> but anyway, you weren't Zacharias. And so this is... Uh, he, went, he was not able to speak for the whole time. And that was going to be, uh, be a sign. And of course, until he called his name John. And you uh, know the rest of the story for, for that. But here is this word. He's given him a word about this. Now, now think about this. Here's the word that comes. And I told you the purpose for a word of knowledge. This is the word of knowledge. This is the word of knowledge about what's going to happen. Apparently, it's already done. She's already pregnant. But you know, that can happen and you not know it for, for a while. So we're just informing him of what has been done. Mary, there was a, there was a certain faith aspect on her part that was necessary. But here we didn't see the, the same, same part with it. But he doubted. Now, if she is already pregnant, then this is going to happen. So why is the, is the word coming? Why, why do we need a word of knowledge on this? Because of, they had to change their thinking. The way that they would have thought about this child was going to be different than the way God wanted. And so when God gave the word of knowledge, he told them about who he was going to be. Look at what he said. First off, you're going to call his name John. That's different because there's nobody in our family named John, which is amazing because there are a lot of Johns in that day. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Now, this is okay so far. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hmm. That's different. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Huh. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now these are the words that he was spoken. So when they raised him, they spoke these words over him. Otherwise, they're just going to treat him as a normal kid. But now they're, they're speaking these words. This is what the Lord said about you. This is what he said. He said, you're going to come in the spirit of Elijah. When John got to the point of ministry, he knew exactly who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. The word of knowledge comes in to change the way that you're thinking about something. Luke 1.36 Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, how could Mary out there in the field know something that apparently not a whole lot of people knew? This is a word of knowledge. Well, he, he gave her something here, and this is going to help her because when the people at home are not receiving 
where she's going, here's a place she can go. Now, she just received a baby by Holy Spirit, by, by help of the Holy Spirit, too. You can go over there. And that's where she went. That's why she went there, because in the Word, she was told, Elizabeth, she's up there. She's got a baby. And we know that since that he would be, uh, he would have that, uh, the Spirit of God, from the time he was conceived... And apparently that was told to Elizabeth because when Mary came, what did, what did Elizabeth say? She referred to the baby having jumped in the womb because Messiah had come. Ooh. I just think about all the events that are going here just like, oh man, this is, <laughs> wow, that is something. See, she allowed the word of knowledge to shape her thinking. It was different than it would have been otherwise. How many times the baby jumps in your womb and what's the mom say? Depending upon who it is that's around. But some people that might be around, might, oh, come feel. Put your hand right there. He's kicking. And you No, know, I did that. You know, my, my wife would say that. But there aren't any other people that get me to to try that out. They say, oh, the baby's kicking. Fine. <laughs> but you see, it would, it would change the way that you're, you're thinking. When, when she saw, when Elizabeth saw, felt a reaction in the baby, her thinking is different. I'm not thinking normal. I'm thinking different because my thoughts are along the lines of what the word of knowledge said to me. That from the time he is conceived, he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something different is going on in here. Now in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, here in this one, there's nothing really going on just yet. It may have already occurred in the heart of Herod. God knows what has occurred in the heart of Herod. But as far as Joseph is concerned, there is nothing he sees that would tell him that this is going on. There have been no, no uh, declarations made about killing babies. Because God is saying, we need to get you out before that happens. So, nothing is happening. He gets his word. You need to get out of here. They're going to come and try and kill this baby. You need to flee to Egypt. And he did it. You can read over that real fast, but understand that the time he got this word, there was nothing around that indicated that he should do this. And he picked up his life and moved. Now, the babies uh, that we estimate to be, you know, a year and a half, two years old, something in that neck of the woods, they've already gone back home Reestablish themselves into, into life there and all of a sudden the word comes get out go and he responded to it he got that word of knowledge and he listened Joseph doesn't need a whole lot apparently to move because here the Lord appeared to him in a dream once again it's just a dream I think dream I mean dream is higher level than uh, inward witness but it's it's not like angelic visitation it's not like nighttime vision or daytime vision it's a dream sometimes we dream things and 
Well, I wonder if that was God. <laughs> but he gets up from the dream and he, he goes, Arise, take the child and, and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Bring up verse 20. I didn't copy that one in. But verse 20 in uh, Matthew chapter 2. Did I not give you those verses? Oh, I thought I had given you those ones. All right. Well, in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 20, a word came to him. Once again, it spoke to, his, spoke to him and said, Hey, this is what's going on. Arise, uh, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. So, uh, and I, 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 was, I was looking for the, I forgot the, where he's going. Can you pull up verse 19? I want you to see just, just one more thing on this. In verse, uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19. Once again, Joseph receives the, the word from God. This is just a simple word. Arise, take the young child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. He knew from the word, this is what we had to do to protect it. Now, by this point, he knows the slaughter had gone on. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So once again, it's in a dream. Three times he's had a dream. Three times the angel shows up in the dream and gives him messages, and he listens to them, and he goes. Now, if you knew that they were out there seeking to kill your, your child, more than likely they were going to kill the child, they are going to kill the mom and dad. And you fled, not because there was any outward signs, just because that word of knowledge came up on the inside, and then you, you left and found out, boy, it's a good thing they did that to try to kill all the babies two years and under. And um, then all of a sudden in a dream, you get this. And so then Joseph comes down to Mary. Mary, we're going home. Are you sure it's safe? Yes, I had a dream. <laughs> well, are you sure that's enough? <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the conversations that might have gone on there? You as a mom, and they want to kill your baby, and now the husband comes down and says, I had a dream. We're going home. Now there's a whole lot of things that can go on there. What happens if Joseph, the whole time he's in Egypt, is talking to Mary, man, I just don't like Egypt. I don't like Egypt. I miss the homeland. I miss seeing our relatives. I miss where we lived at. I miss the people we worked with. I miss being around the temple. Don't you miss that? Oh, I miss that too. And they may have been talking to each other about how much they missed the homeland. How much they didn't like Egypt. Because Egypt is not Israel. Man, I don't like being here. I know God sent us here. I know that we're here for protection. And then all of a sudden he gets up one day and says, I had a dream. Now, if you were the wife, how many of you could say, well, because uh, <laughs> she didn't have the dream. He had the dream. Well, I don't know about that. You know, they might still be looking for us. I had a dream. Are you sure you don't just want to go back because you miss it so much? Those kind of conversations can go on. Don't just think that just because we had a dream, oh, everybody's in agreement, let's go. Because that's probably not what happened. But anyway, you can imagine the rest of it from there. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. We're going to go 2 through 7 instead of 2 through 6. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, they did not say it out loud. 
This man blasphemes. If they said it within themselves, they didn't say it to each other. They said it within themselves. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now look at verse 4 again. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, if you had under, if you had the knowledge of what someone or someones were thinking, and you were in battle with them, how many of you would say what they thought? How many of you would go out there and say, I know you thought this? Just to give some credibility to it. Jesus doesn't say that, but it says he knew their thoughts. Plural. They were thinking each one has different thoughts. Maybe they were all right, right around the same thing. But he doesn't say what their thoughts were. But the word of knowledge that he had was what their thoughts were. But he doesn't say it. Can you see that sometimes the word of knowledge comes to you, you don't always have to say it. He just operated according to the knowledge. Sometimes that's all that's required. So he says to them, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Now he knew who and he knew what. But he does not speak to the who and he does not speak to the what. But the who and the what knew what was going on. Turns to the paralytic. Rise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Luke chapter 19. Jesus reveals the location of a cult. Verse 29. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage that in Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying go into the village opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat loose it and bring it here and if anyone asks you why are you loosing it thus you shall say to him because the Lord has need of it so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them but as they were loosening the colt they didn't ask anybody they just went over they saw the colt and they loosened it the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? They said to him, or said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him, and he went. Many spread their clothes on the road. So you've got a colt. No one has ridden on the colt. Jesus gives them a word. He has a word of knowledge that is either spoken to him, he has a witness in the spirit, he had a dream last night, whatever it was. Don't know how he got it, but he has this word, it's a very, very exact word. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go into the city, you're going to see a cult, untie it, bring it here. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the master has need of them. So they did exactly as they were supposed to. They weren't supposed to go around and say, hey, who owns this cult? They weren't supposed to do that. They went over there, untied it. Of course, you start untying the colt. People who own it are going to come around. And so they said, what are you doing? Well, the master has need of him. Okay. Now, I, I think about this because once again, when I look at these, these situations, I always like to meditate on the people around in the story. Then what's going on? 
why do you have a colt on which no one has ridden? If you have a colt on which no one has ridden, why did you bring it into town? And why did you tie it up? Why did you bring the colt on which no one has ridden, brought it into the town, and tied it up? Why did you do that? I always ask that question. Why did you do that? What if, and I can't prove this until we get to heaven and we watch the videotape. But I think when we get to heaven and we watch the videotape, we're going to find out that the people who owned this coat had a word of knowledge as well. Actually, it would be more of a word of wisdom. I want you to make a coat ready who's going to carry a Messiah. On this coat, make sure no one rides him. And at a certain time, you were going to bring this cult into the city. You're going to tie it up and people will come and untie it for use for the master. That's the only way this story makes sense to me. Because why would you have a cult if no one's going to ride it? Could you imagine this? If you went out to the, to the dealership and you bought yourself a brand new car. Let's say one of those sporty cars that is absolutely no earthly good at all except that it gets a person someplace and maybe a briefcase. My neighbor has a car on the on the one side of me. And um, I mean, you can fit one person in there, maybe two. But if you do two people, then the briefcase has to go. <laughs> That's it. There's room for two people or one person in a briefcase. That's it. There's just not a whole lot of room in this car. But he didn't buy it to to do stuff he's retired and he just bought it we just saw him show up with it one time white Corvette came rolling on up in there and every once in a while we see him take it out and he rides around the block a little bit and then he comes back and he parks it it doesn't doesn't get a whole lot of use on the other side I got another neighbor who's got a Mustang GT Cobra Shelby there is a limited edition. I think there are only 2,000 of them made in the particular year of which he has this. And I'm not sure. It was sometime in the early 2000s this was made. I'm thinking maybe 2007, but it might have been 2003. And it's a white one. It's got a blue stripe on it. It does not have yet, I, be, I believe the mileage is under 7,000. He just takes it out every once in a while and uh, drives around in it and then brings it on in. And that's it. It's a manual. Of course, if you're going to get a thing like that, you get an automatic, you need to, you need to get checked. Because <laughs> something is not right. You do not buy that car with an automatic. You buy it with a manual transmission. That's the only way that you get it. He had this thing, manual transmission. Over 700 horses are in this, this thing. 740 something, I think it is, somewhere in that neck of the woods. He told it to me once. I just, I don't remember, but it was, it was a lot. A lot of horses are underneath there. His son went out and got a car, got a Mustang, some, some other newer one. And um, it's, you know, another uh, race car driver, uh, originated Mustang. I forget the name of him. Uh, his is red, and it's got 400 and some horses in it, but it's automatic because he didn't know how to drive a stick. And so um, he was going to learn how to drive a stick. And so when he finally learned how to drive a stick, his dad says, you know, you learn how to drive a stick, you can take my car out. <laughs> and so he's driving around in his... Uh, in his uh, Mustang 5-liter GT, whoever the race car driver is. Who knows race who's, who's the other one? Do you know who the other one is? Not Shelby, but it's another... 
No, okay. I don't remember who it is. But anyway, they came up with another race car driver to, to buddy up with, and they designed this other Mustang. It's got 400 and some horses on it. He's driving around now, and he thinks this is great. And so he got behind his dad. He was telling me, he told me the story. He told me one firsthand. He was coming, he said, so I thought my car was, was good. I learned how to drive a stick. My dad said, you learn how to drive a stick, you can drive this. You're not going to learn how to drive a stick on my GT Shelby. <laughs> you learn how to drive a stick, you can take it on out. He took it on I said, oh, man. <laughs> I thought I had a fast car. He said, whew. That was some kind of power, he said. But I have never driven it. I've never asked to driven it. I can drive a stick, but I have not asked to drive the Shelby Mustang GT Cobra. But anyway, it sits over there. He doesn't have any miles on that. Can you imagine, though, buying one of these fancy cars, put it in the garage, and no one drives it? No one has driven the car. And then somebody shows up at the garage and says, The master has need. Oh, go ahead. Take her out. You're going to let someone that you don't know be the first one to ride in that car? How many think that's what's going to happen? How many think more of an explanation is going to be needed in order for that car to depart the garage? But we don't need a whole lot of explanation. Because I'm pretty sure that the people who have this cult had a word of knowledge from God. Get a cult ready. No one is to ride on this colt. Bring it into town, tie it up. People will come on a day. And maybe he was, they knew it was around the feast, so maybe every time the feast came up, they were bringing the colt, putting it in there. I imagine some little kids, can we ride it? Can we ride it? No! That is not for you to ride. Why'd you bring it? None of your business. And they bring it again. And they bring it again. And then here comes a day. Someone shows up. The master has need. By all means. How else does that story happen? I can't figure out any other way this story happens. Except the word of the Lord came to Jesus. And it also came to the owners of the cult. In Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession... And he can, oh, I also made mention. Notice that the disciples never said the word of knowledge that Jesus spoke to them. All they said was what Jesus told them to say. The master has needed it. If, if that was me or you, maybe we'd be showing up and say, let me tell you the story. <laughs> we were sitting in the upper room and all of a sudden the master, he tells us we're going to go into town, we're going to find a colt. On this colt, no one has ridden and it's going to be tied up here. In fact, they didn't even ask. Has anybody ridden this colt? They just saw the colt tied up and they untied it. They didn't tell them any of the word. All they did was say what they were supposed to say. See, not everything that's given in the word of knowledge has to be declared. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of his proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. This, of course, was instigated because they saw Barnabas get all that nice attention. They wanted some of that attention too. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained? Was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up 
carried him out, buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of God? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Now that was a word of knowledge about evil that had gone on, an evil that had been in their heart to do. And it was exposed. It would never have been exposed if they hadn't brought the money and passed it off as being the whole price. And he even told them, you could do whatever you want to with the money. You didn't have to bring it all. No one required that of you. But you did. You held back part of it and presented it as if you were giving it all. In Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at 10 through 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. He's answering him. This is in a vision. He has a vision here. This is not a dream. This is a vision. And in the vision, he is answering. Um, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and at the house and laying his hands on him he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized so when he had received food he was strengthened and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus now said in verse 12 that in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. So that's what he did. Now Ananias was given a lot more on this word. This word is actually a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom because it spoke of things that happened in the past and spoke of things that will happen in the future. And yet Ananias does not say any of this to him. He was Ananias was given a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and he does not divulge those things as far as we can tell. He does not say those things to Saul. All he does is what God told him to do. Go in, lay hands, heal him of the blindness. This is what's going to happen with him. Ananias argued a little bit. I know about this guy. I really don't want to be, be going out there. He says, no, you go ahead. God wasn't apparently upset at that because he, he let him know, this is where I'm at with this thing. I know this guy. You sure you want me to go? And um, this is in the vision. He said, yeah, go. And so he went. And he did that. But he does not say the things that he knew from the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge to, to Saul. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to go 1, one through 6 here. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian re regiment, and a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, 
And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So he was told, Here's a guy. Here's where he's at. Send men to him and he'll come. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Could you imagine getting the word of knowledge from God? And he says, go to such and such a house. You're going to find such and such a person there and they can do such and such a thing. That's pretty neat. And he did. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, because he had the vision with the, the, the sheet coming down, and what I've called clean, don't call unclean. That happened three times. While he was pondering his vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. The Spirit said to him, as far as we can tell, all that is is an inward voice. Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Go on the rest of the story. You can read the rest of it at home if you like, but you'll find out that Peter comes down. He sees the three men. He says, what you here for? <laughs> tell them. Well, all right. Stay here. And uh, we'll go in the morning. He doesn't tell them the. He doesn't tell them what he received in the spirit. He doesn't tell them about the vision that he had. He doesn't do any of that until he gets over to the location, and then he shares some of that, but not here. Just because you get a word of knowledge does not mean it has to be shared. You got to understand what you're supposed to do with it. Now here at the end, a word of knowledge is revealed to help or warn others, or sometimes just warns the person it's spoken to. A word of knowledge is revealed to help or to warn others. Sometimes that word of knowledge is given to help other people and you're going to speak it. Sometimes it's given to warn other people and you're going to speak it. Sometimes it's just to warn or help you. Understand that can happen. The word of knowledge can come for your situation and just come to you for you. You never have to say a word to anybody. Joseph had a word of knowledge come to help him. He had to share it with anybody. Probably did share it with a few people, but he didn't have to. It does not always have to be spoken. Just because you got the word of knowledge doesn't mean it has to be spoken out. We saw even with Ananias. He got the word of knowledge, but never spoke out what he got in the word of knowledge. He just did what God told him to do. When it does, don't make it mystic. All these episodes we read in the Word of God where people received the Word of Knowledge and those who made it vocal. There's not a single one who made it mystic. They just spoke it. That's how we, that's how we need to be. Seek it and know it is a gift of God. A gift that God has given and that God uses. This is a gift that God has given and a gift that God uses. He uses the word of knowledge. This is one of the most useful gifts that you will ever come by. Because it seems like it's very, very, happens very often. I did not go over all of the New Testament episodes where this is used. But you can see how common it is. It's in there quite a bit. And it's even in there more than that constantly people are being told this is what's going on watch out for this look out for this this is what's happening here 
God is giving words of knowledge about what has occurred. They had no natural way of knowing those things. Now, if you're going to move out in these things, start small. Sometimes you may hear a word of knowledge, not know what to do with it, and while you're sitting there trying to figure out what to do with it, someone else speaks it. And then the enemy, of course, will come over and try and get you into condemnation. See? God gave it to you, and you didn't obey. He's never going to do that again. Can you see the devil saying that? Yeah, that's not my God. You know what my God probably did? I'm going to give this word to two people. One knows what to do with it, and the other one we're going to teach. So I got that word. I'm, I'm new at this. I never got that word before. Man, what do I do with this? I don't know what to do. And then somebody gets up and speaks that word of knowledge. Oh. But you see, the devil wants to use that for condemnation to keep you from ever moving out in that again. Don't do that. Somebody else got up there. Well, it was done, but I got to learn from it. Oh, well, they spoke it in this way. They did this with it. And I can begin to learn, but I also begin to learn that was God. That was that was God. I was thinking it might be God. I wasn't quite sure. But they spoke it. I saw what it did. That was God. See, I just got stronger in that gift. But the enemy wants to take that and use it against you. Don't let them do it. Sometimes people will feel that they failed because that happened. But God may be just training you up, getting you ready for the next situation. Now understand, God doesn't do a whole lot of training episodes. He does some. But he doesn't do a whole lot. You're not looking at five years of training. You're looking at one or two words. And God says, all right, you got it now? Let's go. <laughs> the enemy is always going to fill you with doubts and try and keep you on the sidelines. Don't get on the sidelines. Stay out there. All right, God, I, I saw what was going on. I'm knowing more what to do with this thing. This word feels like it's more for me to help me in what I'm doing. This word, I think this is for somebody else. And you may not know exactly what to do. I've had some words. I wasn't sure exactly what to do with it. But one thing I do know, don't make it mystic. There are many times that God will give me a word of knowledge about a situation and I will work it into what we're doing on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights and never say a word that I received it in that kind of a supernatural way. I'll never tell anybody that I received it that way. Don't need to. Because see, sometimes if you elevate it that way and people see how uh, they'll say, oh, well, look how, how spiritual that was. Oh, I have to let it obey now. Now, sometimes you don't need to do that. You want that person just to be able to hear it and obey. That's what God wants. Just just hear it and obey. See, with David, David was supposed to just hear the, re the rebuke from God and obey and make things right. He didn't do it. So Nathan was dispatched. Nathan wouldn't have been dispatched if David would have listened to the voice that was going on ahead of time and whatever it was that God was speaking to him. Nathan never would have gone and been, been sent out that way. I put out on the on a note last night, I put it up on Facebook, and I've neglected to put it into your, into your outline, but I wanted to make sure that you, that you got this, that often Christians understand spiritual things through their natural abilities they possess and never rely on the spirit realm to truly understand what is going on. And in the same way, we move in the natural with spiritual gifts. We never realize their true power. Spiritual gifts have a spiritual aspect to it, but not a mystic one. 
They are supernatural. They are here to help you conquer life. The word of knowledge is available to every single believer. There are nine gifts. There's no limit on how many you can have. He didn't say you can have one. Pick which one you want. He didn't say, all right, you can have two. I like this one better. We give him four. He didn't say that. They're out there for you. Paul told us to desire the gifts. We need to desire them. Have a desire for this thing, but know it's it's operation. When you are facing a situation at home, a relationship situation, when you are facing a job situation, when you are facing a financial situation, when you are facing a situation in the Word of God, I don't understand this passage of Scripture. I don't understand what's going on in my neighborhood. I don't understand what's going on in my government. I don't understand what's going on in this story that I hear. I don't see how this is going. Whatever kind of thing you're going on, it's going on in your life. It brings you bewilderment. I don't know what's going on. How many times have we said that? Well, I don't know why it does this. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why people do these things. Whenever we have a situation where I don't know, I need something to come in and change my thinking. Now, let me ask you this question. How many have a situation going on in your life that puzzles you? I don't know why it's going on that way. <laughs> All right. And it can be any kind of situation. I hope I hit enough different situations that you can be thinking. It can be anything that's going on, but I keep getting stuck thinking about it the same way. And if I keep thinking about it the same way, I'm going to have the same end result. My understanding will never expand and my knowledge of the situation won't ever change. My outcome is always going to be the same. Something has to disrupt it. Something has to give me new perspective. And this is where the word of knowledge can come in. It can minister just as much to you individually as it can to somebody in the church. It can also minister to somebody who is outside the church. They do not need to be born again to receive a word of knowledge. And you can go through the word of God and see times when people were not born again and a word of knowledge helped them out. God's trying to change their thinking. Because if I keep pursuing a blessing of God, understanding a, a thing that I think I should have, and I keep coming up with the same end result, I keep coming out of it the same way, and my thoughts are, yeah, that happens every time. Yeah, that goes on every time I go out. There's a pattern. I need something to break the pattern. And this is something that will do it. There is nothing in the Word of God like the Word of Knowledge to break this stuff up. But if I don't know that I can seek after it, then I merely take on all these things with natural tools. And I fail. And I get discouraged. God doesn't want you to be that way. And so in the church, he has put gifts of the Spirit, one of which is the gift of the word of knowledge. That events that have gone on in your past, he will give you a different way of looking at it. You've always looked at it like this. Now, look at it like this. (gasps) I never even thought that could be what's going on. 
if that's what's going on, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. No wonder I have been failing. Because I I, I've always thought it's like this. Not it's like this. Wow, and your eyes are opened. And it changes how I think about this. It changes how I believe. It changes how I pray. It changes how I view the other people that are involved. I didn't see it going on this way. Now I understand. And you can now approach that. And you can take it on and win. And that's what this gift is here to do. Too many times we just wait for the gifts of the Spirit to happen to somebody else. Maybe they trickle on down. Somebody speaks something to me and I get some, some help. This is a gift that I could show you in the Word of God has probably been used almost as many times for the individual themselves as it is for helping other people. How many times do you think Paul received the Word of Knowledge about how he was supposed to minister, what he was supposed to do, how he was supposed to take on this city. He wrote about a few of them. How many times do you think it happened? He didn't tell us. I think this gift was so prominent in Paul's life. It was almost second nature. And this can be very prominent in yours. I think this ought to be more prominent even than prophecy. That's just my thought. My thoughts don't elevate the scripture like Paul's does. So, Keep that in mind. <laughs> but oh, what a powerful gift this is. I would that you all would operate in the word of knowledge. That you know that God will speak to you about events, actions, and thoughts, whether with you or someone around you, and give you supernatural understanding, not understanding, supernatural knowledge, but just a word. But that one word, few words that he gives you, change the way that you look at it. And when you gain confidence in it, you're going to receive that word of knowledge and you are going to speak it into somebody else's life. Brother, sister, so-and-so, God told me to speak this to you. And you say that to them and you change their life. Nathan walked into David's room and he spoke what God told him to speak and changed David's life. David was on a course to die. Had the judgment of God come down upon him. But his, his life changed. For the better. The devil tried to change him for the worse. God corrected the course. Got him going back again. Because of this, this particular gift. Your understanding can be expanded. It doesn't have to stay with where you are. But expect it. Expect it. I draw off of this gift all the time when I study the Word of God. I draw off of this gift. I wait for that word of knowledge to come to me about a passage, about something I'm trying to understand. Because this is all past events. These are all things that have gone on. God speak to me about this one. I ask Him, and He does. When he speaks to me about it, it changes my whole perspective. Oh, now I see that passage differently. Now I understand that truth differently. It changes the way I look at that. It'll change the way that you look at your spouse. It'll change the way you look at your kids. It'll change the way you look at your job. It'll change the way you look at your church family. It'll change the way you look at people on Facebook. (laughs) 
It'll change all sorts of things if you seek after it and receive it first. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that we need to understand what they are capable of, the power that is behind them, and how our life is made better when we bring that power into our life. You've made this available to us. So often we have walked through this life without their empowerment and just stumbled on through. But you wish for us to be empowered to speak words that are elevated to the level of prophecy. Speak them in the lives of other people. To see into the realm of the Spirit. To see hindrances that we just can't seem to get past. And to receive the word of knowledge. Change our perspective how we understand the things that are going on around us. I thank you for your foresight, seeing the things that we needed, and put in these nine gifts everything that we would need for this life. The word of knowledge can change just about every situation we're involved with. We need to learn to seek after it and to receive what God speaks to us. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.